Welcome to another edition of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I am Chris Raybon, joined by Action Network NFL analyst, NFL director of content, Ian Harditz. What is going on, Ian? What's up, Chris? Just uh, doing this off-season grind. I kind of missed the real thing going on, but it's been a while since we had the AAF flown. I almost bought an Arena League <laughs> ticket the other day. Uh, I, m- I might have to this weekend. We'll see. Yeah, man. Now, I, I applaud your dedication. I mean, you are on the AAF all offseason, just grinding. You have a bunch of – I mean, you've been grinding out content at, at a crazy pace for the Action Network. You have articles out on almost every team at this point. Am I wrong? No days off, Chris. That's right. Yeah. We're, uh, I'm cranking through some of the most fancy relevant questions up until August. Just hitting out a bunch of these players. And, of course, uh, uh, I think it's a good compliment to all those awesome rankings you, the odds maker, and Friedman are putting out. And, Together, we can all just have, you know, the, the best old fancy football preview we've ever seen, right? Yeah, I mean, my contribution to the rankings is really just ranking Kyler Murray as high as possible. That's really what, what I'm here for. But, um, you know, you're looking good. You got a tan. I know the people can't see you right now, but for everyone listening, my guy has got a tan, an authentic tan, not just a spray-on one. <clears throat> Blackjack Fletcher. <laughs> um, you know, we're out here. We're gonna we have a good episode today. We're gonna talk about something really important in fantasy. I think that everyone um, needs to pay attention to year over year, which is uh, play caller changes. I, I think it's one of the most important things uh, to pay attention to because you can really get an edge. And you, we've seen just in these last couple of years some really uh, huge shift from one year to the next, just based off play caller changes. I mean, you look at Mitchell Trubisky and what he has done. You look at Jared Goff. Um, that's just a couple of examples. So. Uh, we'll get into all of those. Um, Ian has a bunch of articles out right now on the Action Network um, that kind of go into more detail on those. He's got one in the history of new head coaches, one on new play calls, and one on even defensive coordinators. So um, we're going to get to a bunch of that. Um, but let's first, let's get into some training camp news. Sony Michelle hasn't been practicing. He's been kind of MIA lately. Rookie Damian Harris, third-round pick for the Patriots, reportedly had a very strong spring Jeff Howe has reported that he has a chance to earn a prominent role during the season uh just thoughts on Harris Michelle and even James White and just that Patriots backfield yeah we got a little new info this morning apparently Michelle had a knee scope he's on track for camp but this is like the third thing we've had with him in the last like year in terms of right before the draft he was kind of diagnosed with a bone-on-bone thing in his knee and then he was missing the early part of the season with another knee issue and then we saw Bill Belichick go ahead and draft another running back on day two. I, mean, I know Michelle was round one, but clearly they wouldn't have taken Damon Harris if they felt great about Sony Michelle's health entering the season. And like you said, we still got James White, even a little guy uh, named Rex Burkhead on the roster as well. <laughs> so it's going to be another crowded situation, but we do got to keep an eye on this because even if the Patriots burn us from time to time, they've had a top 20 running back in a PPR points per game in six of the last seven seasons. Right now, I mean, I think the favorite's got to be James White. He's currently the RB27 in a PPR ADP. I think that's a value. Sony at RB23, man, like I'm not touching that for the time being until we know he's a little bit healthy because one of the things we got Jeff Ho saying, awesome Patriots beat writer, is that Harris could uh, does have a chance to earn a prominent role during the season earlier than people might expect. So 
Harris right now is the RB61. I mean, I know everyone's kind of getting off to Henderson and the Rams right now, but we could see Harris have a little bit of fun. Stop getting off to Henderson and the Rams. I, I'm just going to leave that right where you put it, but I, <laughs> I totally agree. I mean, if there, there's a short list of guys every year who there, there's a chance. There's a ch- like, it's like that meme. So you're saying there's a chance, you know, that these guys could be league winners. And I think Harris at that RB61 ADP, you know, there's a chance he gets, you know, those 87 carries that Stephen Ridley got as a rookie. But there's also a chance he gets those, you know, 200-plus carries that Sony Michelle got as a rookie um, if Sony Michelle gets hurt or, you know, things just don't go exactly according to plan. I mean, maybe James White gets hurt. You know, who knows? Harris can catch the ball a little. So, Harris, especially in best ball leagues, maybe you're trying to round out your running back roster. He's your last running back pick or something like that. I think this guy has major upside so uh, I think definitely somebody to monitor as we get, uh, you know, into camp and beyond. Speaking of running back situations on good offenses, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy confirmed that Damian Williams, who came on strong during weeks 13 to 17 last year, was the PPR RB5 uh, during that span. You know, he's a guy who can catch. He confirmed that Williams is going to be their starter. Carlos Hyde is there. They drafted a guy they wanted to trade up for, who I like a lot, Darwin Thompson. What are your thoughts on the Chiefs' backfield, and how early would you draft Damian Williams? I understand the hesitation on Damian Williams just in terms of don't see a lot of running backs. I've been in the league for four or five years, just all of a sudden take on these large workloads. But there's not exactly a better option for the Chiefs right now, and everything they're telling us uh, seems to drive that point home. So, like we said, they've only added Carlos Hyde. This is his fourth team since 2017. Uh, even if Hyde does get a little bit of a larger early down role, I think many people expect, we're still going to see Williams work as the lead pass down back. I mean, it was I believe he caught 23 of 24 targets during a regular season. I mean, it was a nice connection uh, between him and Mahomes. Might not give you the same downfield ability as Kareem Hunt, but he can do he can do all the three down things. And again, we saw him do that at a high level uh, for a long stretch last season. So uh, I'm not as high on Darwin Thompson as apparently a lot of people are. I've seen a lot you truthers just coming out of the woodworks as soon as he lands on Kansas City but uh, at the end of the day he's still a six-round pick and even if he does carve out a role I have a really hard time believing it's something uh, too fancy significant since 2010 we've only had four rookie running backs that were drafted outside of round three uh, earn a top 20 PPR ranking by the end of the year so I, I think the worst case scenario is it ends up kind of being a three-ish back committee where none of these guys are getting a ton of touches, but that hasn't been consistent with what we've seen from Andy Reid offenses over the years and specifically last year when Williams was taken over. So I think Williams right now, I mean, if you can still get him uh, in this mid, mid late part of round two, I mean, you got to be happy to have him. Yeah, I totally agree with you on Williams. Uh, I think where we disagree is Thompson. I think Thompson is a threat not to Williams, but to Carlos Hyde, I think Carlos Hyde gives you nothing in the passing game. He's proven year after year after year that he's a poor receiver. His yards per target is among – his yards per target is not even as good as some backs' uh, yards per carry at this point in his career. I just – you know, the Chiefs aggressively wanted to, to go after Thompson. I think if, especially if Hill – if Tyreek Hill misses any time, he's part of that Tyreek Hill solution. He's, he's another one of those gadget guys that they use. And I think if Williams were to go down, I think – Thompson would have just as good of a chance of landing that lead role as Carlos Hyde, who I don't even know if it's a lot to make the team, to be honest. So I think uh, Thompson is a threat not to Williams right now anyway, but just to Carlos Hyde. And I think Carlos Hyde going in the top 100 or, or top 110 overall, which I see in a number of drafts and ADPs, that's the mistake. I think, I think Thompson is the guy you want uh, for that value there. But I think, yeah, no hesitation 
on Williams. Another running back situation worthy of monitoring the Seattle Seahawks. They ran the ball more than pretty much any team in the league. This side is the Baltimore Ravens. Chris Carson missed all of the, these offseason practices with a knee injury. Second-year man Rashad Penny came in at 228 pounds after being 240 last year. Is this another Eddie Lacy situation where we're just hyped at this, you know, weight loss that he should have lost the whole time? Or is Rashad, does Rashad Penny have legitimate RB1 upside? I was about to say, it's funny how we're saying our running backs gotten down to about 230 <laughs> right. pounds. I mean, he has that upside, man, because like you said, this is one of the league's most unhappy offenses. And I mean, they've doubled down on that assertion all offseason. I mean, Schottenheimer, Pete Carroll, they're not shying away from it. Russell Wilson's going to continue being one of the more efficient quarterbacks in the league, but they're going to keep running the ball. Even if Carson is healthy, I think we can A, expect Carson to get more work. I mean, I'm sorry, get, expect Penny to get more work. In year two, he's in better shape. And, I mean, they spent a first-round pick on the guy. They can't ignore him forever. And, B, they do have to replace Mike Davis, who quietly had 112 carries and 42 targets last year. So, it was kind of a weird three-back committee system last year that I think a lot of people uh, kind of assume was more the Chris Carson show. But they run the ball so dang much that multiple running backs can be relevant at times. So, now that we got this situation down to two backs, I think we could see both Carson and Penny uh, giving us some value probably a more sporadic basis. I don't know how consistent they'll be, but if one of those guys is hurt, which again, right now, Carson dealing with this undisclosed knee injury, doesn't appear to be super serious, but definitely something to watch. Uh, something happens with that. Yeah. I think Penny does have RB1 upside. Yeah. I mean, Carson was pretty consistent even with, uh, you know, Davis and at times Penny in the mix. So I think, I think that Pete Carroll legitimately likes Carson. I think that Carson is in his mind, that team starter and that team's featured back when healthy. I think Penny is a guy that the front office pushed to draft that they want to look good for drafting. So I think that's where a lot of these whispers are coming from. But the bottom line is Davis is gone. And so, yeah, Penny is going to get a chance. And if, if anything happens to Carson, Penny's going to be in that lead role. So I think, I think you hit it. I think both of them have a lot of upside. Uh, you know, Travis Homer, CJ Procise, those are the guys kind of battling for that uh, RB3 role, um, you know, that passing down role because, you know, Carson – not a lot of catches. Penny can catch the ball. Um, so we might see him step into that Davis role. But the Seahawks are going to involve their running backs. They don't have much at wide receiver with, with Doug Baldwin retiring. I mean, we, we have, they have a lot of young guys, but very unproven. And the same thing at tight end. You know, Disley showed well before his uh, injury, but he's coming off an injury. They have Jacob Hollister, who they just acquired from the Patriots. But a, a lot of targets open. So I think you, you want to pay attention to that Seahawk backfield. But I, I wouldn't write off Carson and, or Penny. I think both of them, as you said, can give you good value. And Mike Davis in Chicago, I mean, I think he's actually a value too. Everyone's just assuming Montgomery's running away with that role. They acquired Mike Davis and paid him more than what Howard would have gotten. Um, so I think they're, they're kind of planning on using a three-headed monster. So uh, Davis has some value, especially in best balls. Let's go to Carolina. Cam Newton resumed throwing. Currently being drafted as the 12th QB off the board. Never been worse than the 13th quarterback in terms of fantasy points per game has five top five seasons since he came into the league in 2011. What are your thoughts on Cam? So everyone's kind of freaking out a few weeks ago. We hadn't heard of Cam resuming throwing at all, really. We just knew he'd had this offseason shoulder issue that pretty much kept him from taking shots downfield for the last month or two of last season. So def definitely something to be concerned about. But, you know, now we're getting reports. He's resumed throwing. He's on track. Uh, he's apparently remade his mechanics, which are – 
I mean, that's weird that I think that you have a quarterback at this stage needing to remake his mechanics. But, hey, he had this shoulder injury, and we did just see Andrew Luck do it. I know we shouldn't assume that's going to be the norm with any quarterback uh, recovering from an arm injury. But I do think if there's a system for this to work, it's going to be Cam because we already know he's one of the best rushing quarterbacks of all time. He's giving you that uh, production. And this Panthers 2019 offense is in such better position for him to check the ball down than I think any other one during his tenure there. He's got Christian McCaffrey. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, all these guys can take a two-yard pass to the house at any point in time. So even if we don't see Cam really resume that gunslinger mentality, you know, double-digit uh, yardage dot every year, I don't think it matters as much because I think, I think the offense is uh, much better suited for his skill set now. Absolutely. North Turner did a great job kind of tearing that offense to Cam. I think Samuel – is being criminally underrated right now. He was a guy that they force-fed the ball. I mean, he would get five, six touches and play only 20, 30% of the snaps at times. So, uh, totally agree. There in Baltimore, uh, Ravens beat writer Dref Zriebeck says, tight end Mark Andrews is among the practice standouts. You know, he joins Zachary, Hunter Henry, O.J. Howard, Gronk, Kelsey, and George Kittle as the only tight ends to average two yards per route run over the last two seasons with a minimum of 100 routes. I know in, you know, 10-man leagues, maybe you're not that concerned about, you know, the, these late-round tight ends because you kind of have that tier that ends with Vance McDonald. Maybe you include Austin Hooper in that tier. But in these 12-mans, you know, that if you're the 11th or 12th person to draft a tight end, you're kind of out there in no man's land. Do you think Mark Andrews has a case to be, you know, that 11th tight end off the board? He's got a case, man. Uh, I'm still riding with Chris Herndon. He's got similar kind of efficiency metrics. He's popping up on these same uh, lists when you look at yards per target uh, a little bit more. But, I mean, it's tough to ignore Mark Andrews, and I think it makes sense that he could uh, overcome some of the other tight ends on his roster because, you know, don't forget, Ravens drafted Hayden Hurst in round one last year. He's already banged up again, but assuming he's back for week one, they also got Nick Boyle, who they signed to an extension in the offseason. But I think Hurst and Boyle are probably – there more for blocking but at the same time this is a run first offense and we have multiple tight ends so it's it's a situation where I don't think we, we're going to know if Mark Andrews is even going to be playing 50% of the offensive snaps until week one or two and then whether or not that role leads to anything more than four or five targets per game remains to be seen because we got Hollywood Brown we got more weapons that offense than last year so I think Mark Andrews is a really good player I'm just worried about the target share I think it's a better uh, best ball pick than season long at this point yeah, I agree. I think there's kind of a high ceiling, low floor situation going on. I mean, we don't know, you know, we know Baltimore wants to throw the ball more with Lamar Jackson. I believe he averaged about 24 attempts uh, per game last year passing. But at the end of the day, we also hear reports that, hey, he, he's not throwing the ball too well in camp. So we don't know exactly how much that will increase. The bottom line is, uh, Andrews flourished with Jackson. He was his most reliable receiver. He averaged 16.2 yards per catch his rookie year. Uh, he scored three touchdowns, had a long of 74 yards. And this is a guy with major upside. This is a guy that when you look around the league at tight ends who could conceivably lead their team in catches or yards or both or targets even, Mark Andrews is on that short list. So, yeah, I think larger leagues, 12-man leagues, best ball leagues, uh, especially if it's your second tight end, take a shot at Mark Andrews. I, I, think, I think you hit it on the head. Hayden Hurst, kind of that dual threat catching and running, but – I mean, catching and blocking, but at this point, health has kind of betrayed him, and I think he's more of a, an asset is just kind of a, you know, a part-time player, and, and Boyle is going to be a blocker. So Andrews has major upside. Uh, another guy with major upside in year two, Dallas Goddard, reports that Zach Ertz is more, being used more split out wide. 
I mean, when I look at the Eagles, I just see the ball being spread around a lot to the point where I, I, I'm concerned not just about the target shares of, you know, guys like Aguilar and, and maybe Deshaun Jackson, but I mean, I'm concerned about Alshon Jeffrey and Zach Ertz, not, not necessarily efficiency, but just that there's going to be a lot of guys seemingly involved. I mean, you, you throw in the rookie J.J.R.C. Whiteside and, you know, he's showing well in camp. Just how do you see the targets shaking out in Philadelphia this year? It's a good problem for them to have them. I mean, all those guys you just named, that's a bunch of ballers in that group, a bunch of guys that can uh, really stretch the field, which is what they were missing last year. I think Ertz, at this point, we've seen so much evidence of Wentz just continuing to feed him the ball. I think Ertz is supposed to be the favorite to lead the team in targets, but I don't think we're going to see the same level uh, of that last season. But I think the Eagles' base formation, if they do go ahead and ride out with Ertz as more or less a slot receiver with Goddard uh, at tight end more often, I think they can do it more this year because last year they really didn't have any field stretcher after Mike Wallace and Matt Collins got hurt uh, to take pressure off the defense. So they kind of had to have Nelson Aguilar out there. He was their only guy that could even sometimes stretch defenses. Now you got arguably still one of the best field stretchers in the league and Deshaun Jackson on one side. So I think if you have D-Jacks out there, it's going to open up the intermediate range for Alshon, for Ertz, uh, potentially get Goddard some, some more uh, reps as well. So uh, I think Wentz is going to be way more efficient this year. Uh, I've heard some early MVP talk for him, which, I mean, wasn't that long ago he was playing at that level. So uh, best weapons of Wentz's career. I agree with you, targets of volume, but I have a feeling this could be one of the league's better offenses, so I'm still going to be uh, trying to get some shares to Ertz. And right now Goddard is my highest owned best ball tight end because you can get him as in the very late rounds as your third tight end if you want to carry three. And, again, they use two tight end formations a lot. Last year they already had the most pass attempts out of two tight end sets. I think Goddard has a chance to give you three or four okay games just as a backup, and God forbid something happens to Ertz. We're talking immediate top five fantasy tight end. I mean, I would say Goddard is a better uh, receiver than than Trey Burton at this point and, you know, higher upside guys. So I, I totally agree with that. I think – and it's interesting, too, because, you know, Miles Sanders been a little bit banged up. I think everyone's assuming he'll run away with that job. I think they intend to be a committee backfield. Jordan Howard probably going to get a lot of snaps. He doesn't catch very many balls. I mean, he's usually in that 4 or 5% target share range. That does open up some targets – uh, for some of those other guys, because, you know, you, you figure Deshaun is going to get at least 10, 15%. Um, you know, Ertz is still going to be around that 23, 25%. And you, you still got Alshon and Seed. But yeah, I think, you know, it's going to come down to Goddard, Aguilar and those guys. And I think at, at this point, you rather have Goddard out there. So, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of weapons. And I'm very high in the Eagles offense. I mean, as long as Wentz stays healthy, obviously, I think, you know, the backup quarterback situation isn't what it once was. But if Wentz stays healthy, I think this team is as good as could be as good as any team, really, uh, in the NFL. So let's get into the play calling changes, though, because this is what we really want to talk about. And we're going to start with, surprise, surprise, a team that I know if, if you've been listening to this pod, you know I love. Um, I, I think you're, you're, you're probably on the same page. The Arizona Cardinals go out and they hire former Texas Tech head coach Cliff Kingsbury, who famously once said that, hey, if I had the number one pick in the draft, I would draft Kyler Murray. Well, that happened. He's got Kyler. He's also got some guy who wants to get 1,000 yards rushing and receiving in the same season. Hasn't done it yet, but is certainly capable in David Johnson. He's got a guy in Christian Kirk who had a very underrated, I would say, rookie year in terms of looking at his target share numbers, his air yard numbers, um, his efficiency numbers. 
And then you got you had some pretty good draft picks at these skill positions when you talk about Andy Isabella um, and, and the volume he put up with the Minutemen. And then you have Hakeem Butler, who many thought could go a lot higher. Even Keyshawn Johnson, who some say are NFL ready right now, is NFL ready right now. So uh, how do you think Kingsbury uh, affects this Cardinal offense, which posted a the uh, bottom five passer rating uh, over the last half decade with Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen? There's just so many parallels between this offense, you know, I think what we saw in both Chicago and Los Angeles over these last few years in terms of you going from a pretty old, I mean, Steve Wilkes, just defensive minded head coach, really, they just had no offensive innovation on that really coaching staff last year. And now you're, now you're bringing in arguably, you know, the guy that's going to attempt to bring a full, the first full fledged air raid offense to the NFL. And I think it's only going to mean good things for all these guys involved because the one kind of consistent thing we've seen with a bunch of these new air raid offenses is they're not afraid to distribute the ball around and they're usually doing it with three or four wide receivers on the field at the same time. Same with Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, they're incredibly efficient, but you know, they're not necessarily pounding 15 targets to the same guy all game. So I think right now, I mean, you hit nail on the head with the guys we should be targeting. David Johnson, his incredibly disappointing, you know, 2018 season was still a top 10 season as far as fantasy was concerned. And that was with him just running straight into the middle of the line. His, uh, his snaps in a slot and out wide dropped from about 18 to 20% range all the way down to 7%, just criminal uh, for someone that's as good as the receiver as he is. And we do have plenty of evidence of Kingsbury getting his running backs involved in the passing game. So that 1,000 yards receiving, I think, is realistic. Uh, for NFL.com, Graham, Graham Barfield, Texas Tech running backs for 10th in college football on receptions with 4.8 uh, per game during Kingsbury's last three seasons. Great things on the horizon for DJ. And, yeah, man, I'm investing in Christian Kirk more than any of these other receivers. Uh, got some nice reports this morning with Kingsbury saying uh, Kirk was picking up the offense fast. Uh, he was uh, – a lot of people don't know this – Kirk and Murray were teammates at Texas A&M before uh, Murray went ahead and transferred to Oklahoma. So uh, Kirk, I guess, kept, kept some of that air raid playbook together that they had there. And one, one thing they mentioned about him, he also showed last season he can function inside and outside. I mean, almost a big knock on Kirk coming out of college was some people thought he'd be a slot receiver. And obviously his slot in Arizona still belongs to old man Larry Fitz. But Kirk proved uh, plenty of times that he can still play on the outside. So I think – I'm not quite sure how Isabella, Butler, or Keyshawn, how these other spots are going to break out, but I have a really hard time believing Kirk won't be on the field for 80% snaps again. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think Kirk is the favorite to lead the team in targets, catches, and yards, and all that good stuff. Uh, I think he's tailor-made for the offense because at this stage in his career, he can get more separation than Larry Fitzgerald. He can give you more after the catch than Larry Fitzgerald. So, I I mean, he had a 19% target share, 24% air yard market share, and a 0.9% reception to air yard uh, conversion ratio per airyards.com. Uh, and that was pretty much ranked above all the other rookie receivers except DJ Moore in, in reception to air yard conversion ratio. And, you know, he was a couple of catches behind Larry, um, and he was leading the team in yards when, when he went down uh, in week 13. So I think, you know, wide receivers in year two, it used to be year three. Year two now is the year you really want to watch when these guys take a step forward, they put it all together. I think this guy could have a massive breakout. I'm, I'm taking him as kind of, uh, you know, a – uh, a low-end wide receiver, two high-end wide receiver, three, kind of in that you know, wide receiver 25 range, a lot higher than uh, most people. And, and I'm not sweating it at all. I, I'm fully invested uh, in Christian Kirk and, and this offense. And I think there's pretty much everyone, every player uh, connected to this offense is undervalued in fantasy at this point. Uh, Ian, how, how high exactly? Because I think a lot of the talk is, is centers around Kyler Murray and just, you know, how high would you take him? Would you take him as your, as your QB1? Oh, absolutely. I mean, right now he's the QB 10 ADP. 
I take him ahead of Wentz. I take him ahead of Drew Brees. I'm taking him ahead of these lower-end QB1s that we've seen do it before, but they just don't have the rushing floor. And, look, even if Kyler struggles more than we think as a passer, he's going to be throwing it way more than we, what we saw Lamar Jackson or any of these other dual threats uh, kind of do over the last few seasons. I mean, Texas Tech led the FBS in snaps per game during Kingsbury's time there, so they're going to be on the field all the time. Uh, I mentioned before, I was looking at the defenses, man, like, Cardinals defense is not going to be good to start this year because they're going from one of the most zone-heavy schemes to a man-heavy scheme, and they don't have their all-world cornerback to do it. So, I mean, we got uh, offense that wants to be on the field a lot with a terrible defense. I mean, it reminds me of the Chiefs last year, honestly. I mean, I would go as far as to say it could have, like, a Chip Kelly-like effect where yeah. this offense just morphs into something ridiculous. And that's I think that's the key with Murray is that you're getting him as that quarterback 10. Uh, there was about a four-point-per-game difference between the quarterback 5 and the quarterback 20 last year and that tends to be the case there's not much separating these guys so if you see a guy that you can get you know down there and you know pick in the eighth round and ninth round tenth round that potentially could give you that you know top three four five uh, quarterback production maybe even more than that who knows uh i think you have to pull the trigger um so i like it and you know again if for example you know if something happens to kirk or, or larry or whatever they have some depth they have butler they have isabel they have Keyshawn. uh they have you know a couple of tight ends that can catch the ball. Ricky Sales Jones and Charles Clay don't expect them to be heavily involved, but if they need to be, those guys can split out and catch the ball as well. David Johnson talked about it, can go for a thousand yards. So lots like in Arizona. I think this is a criminally underrated team. I think if you're sharp in fantasy, you want to make a dent in your league, you have a one in 10 or one in 12 chance of winning your league. You're loading up on the Arizona Cardinals this year. Let's move on to, uh, another team that you know seems to have a lot of upside, but it's been it's been kind of it's been kind of rough these last few years at times for the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, the touchdown interception numbers generally are there. The yards per attempt has not been. They just hired former Rams and Titans offensive coordinator Matt Lafleur to be the head coach. Mike McCarthy is no more. How does this affect the Packers offense? Uh, is did this finally return Aaron Rodgers to that elite quarterback one level that he's kind of been, you know, on the outside looking in over these past few years? And who do you see stepping up behind Devontae Adams uh, at pass catcher? Yeah, it's an interesting deal with the floor because he was one of the hottest coaching candidates out there last year after being McVay's offensive coordinator during his first kind of takeover year with the Rams. But as we know, I mean, McVay was the one calling those plays. So we don't have really as long of a track record of success from LaFleur to go off of. He went to Tennessee last year. They were 27th in points per game, 26 in yards per play. Can't put that all on him. I mean, Marcus Mariota was having, like, velocity issues because of nerve problems in his elbow as early as week two in the season. So kind of hard to do much with that. My biggest issue here is just that, I mean, the Packers, they kept their defensive coordinator. They really didn't make many personnel changes to the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're putting all their eggs in this basket that their new scheme is really going to fix all these problems they had. And I'm just not positive LaFleur is the guy to necessarily do that. I mean, we saw him. It took him to week 13 last season uh, to realize that the offense should be going through Derrick Henry and not Deion Lewis. And we just automatically expect him to put in Aaron Jones over Jamal Williams. I hope that happens. I think we all agree Aaron Jones is the better running back and should be getting the touches. But uh, I don't think it's a guarantee. And then as far as the wide receivers are going, yeah, Devontae Adams, I mean, should be anyone's idea of a top three fantasy receiver going this year, but it's still kind of question marks behind him. I think Jeronimo Allison has to be the favorite to uh, pick up the slack as the number two option of Fard's career adjusted yards per attempt with him 
are re really, really good. And he was on a thousand yard pace for the first four weeks of last season. But after him, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Equinemi, and St. Brown, uh, not bad, but I don't think we saw too much in the rookie year to make you think a huge breakout's necessarily on the way. So it's a, I mean, Jimmy Graham's still there too. Maybe he could do something. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking to invest in Devonte. You know, if he's there for me in the early picks when it makes sense, and potentially Jeronimo later. But I'm, I'm not convinced that we're gonna all of a sudden see Rodgers morph back into kind of the literally most efficient quarterback of all time uh, this season. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know. Throughout through 2014, you know, he was pretty much putting up, you know, you could count on him high sevens, low eights yard per attempt every year. Then uh, 2015, 6.7, 2016, 7.3, 2017, 7.0, 2018, 7.4. The league average is 7.4. So he hasn't been above the league average in, in five years. And, and, and that's, that, that's a problem. Uh, how much of it is due to McCarthy? I think it could be a lot. I mean, McCarthy was notorious for kind of setting his guys up in, in, in routes where they had to win one-on-one -on -one, uh, rather than kind of scheming them open, which is what, you know, a lot of the smarter teams are, in the league are doing uh, nowadays. So I, I think, uh, you know, Martellus Bennett, Mercedes Lewis, uh, both guys who played under McCarthy came out and said that his scheme was really, really bad for, for tight ends. You know, I think that, that – that's – creates a little bit of intrigue for Jimmy Graham because I don't think the yards are coming back but um I, I think that his touchdowns could easily easily flip from from like two to ten uh just just playing with Aaron Rodgers I think Valdez Scantling is intriguing come going into year two I think he's a guy who uh showed flashes could take a step forward I, I think St. Brown as well and I think it, it really is a toss-up I mean our guy Matthew Berry kind of talked about how A-Rod uh, showed some love to Jake Kumaro uh, another receiver kind of buried on the depth chart there. Um, we've also heard uh, positive reports about Trevor Davis, but I, I think Valdez Scantley probably uh, the guy to watch in terms of in terms of upside uh, relative to his average draft position at this point. Uh, but in deep leagues, I, I mean, I think Rodgers is not the guy I'm going after. I think I am still targeting, uh, trying to find some value in those pass catchers, and maybe it is you know waiting on tight end and, and taking a shot at on Jimmy Graham. Uh, let's go to the Cleveland Browns, another team, huge upside. I think, you know, head coach Freddie Kitchens uh, expected to keep calling the plays, but they added Bucks offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, who essentially was responsible for uh, the rebirth of Fitz Magic for, you know, the, the, the incredible numbers that really anybody who was quarterback for the Bucks. Um, Posted last year. I mean, it didn't matter who they were. Winston. It's, I mean, Winston could get benched at the half, and he might have like 250 yards. <laughs> so uh, Baker Mayfield, a tenth of a yard per attempt less than Patrick Mahomes over the second half of 2018. Uh, he didn't target uh, Jarvis Landry quite as much as Tyrod Taylor was. He kind of spread the ball around. How do you see this Browns offense shaking out? What do you think the upside is for Mayfield and, and all involved there? Yeah, man, that last point you made is, I think, the only – it's not even a, really a problem. Like, the Browns' offense is going to be awesome this year. But yeah, I don't know if the – I feel like one of Landry, Beckham, and the Joku probably aren't going to get the volume that they need to kind of be great fantasy assets. I'm pretty sure Beckham's not going to be the one that won't get enough volume. So, I have a feeling that guy could be Landry because you said it, man. After Kitchens took over last year, Mayfield did not target a single receiver double-digit times in any single game. So, he's more than happy to uh, – spread the ball around part of me wants to think that that makes Antonio Callaway a nice late round value that guy's got a ton of speed a lot of upside 
But, I mean, we have seen Rashard Higgins kind of get a bunch of uh, good chemistry with Baker. I'm not convinced that Callaway is going to run away with that number three wide receiver role. But there's a lot of fantasy fun that's going on in this offense. Najoku should be the main tight end. They brought in Demetrius Harris. Uh, he has some ties uh, over from Kansas City, obviously, and that type of offense being a backup to Kelsey. But it, it, it's just going to be a lot of spreading the ball around, but it's going to be a really efficient offense. So I think similar to Philly, even if we don't have kind of the best idea of how these targets are going to be going around yet, it's still a situation we want, want a lot of exposure to. But who are you looking to – like, who do you think emerges as that kind of number two most productive guy behind uh, OBJ? I think for value, I'm really looking at Njoku because the way I look at it, I think the reason Jarvis Landry – quote unquote struggled uh over that second half was was not necessarily due due to any uh fault of his own but just because he was that go-to guy in that offense and Mayfield is so good that um if the defense is paying the most attention to to a guy like Landry he can hit everybody else I mean he brought the ghost of Rashad Perriman back now now that you know now we're talking about him as a potential you know starter in, in Tampa Bay uh, you know, he had, we were talking about Rashad Higgins as a potential starter, really, because of Baker Mayfield at this point. And so I think now, now with Beckham there to kind of take the pressure off Landry, Najoku could potentially on any given play be the defense's third priority. And if, you look at a, if you're looking for a guy who, you know, at tight end, uh, there's not too many guys that are going to be in that position to kind of lead their team in targets or even get a lot of targets, you know, outside of Kelsey or it's Kittle. Uh, so you're really looking for guys who are going to be efficient. And I think Najoku has the potential to be this year's Ebron in the sense that he might not be the most targeted guy, but he's going to be with a, a really good quarterback and a really good offense where you have to pay attention to some other guys. And he can easily score 10 touchdowns. So Najoku has been a guy that I'm uh, targeting in Baker Mayfield himself. I mean, you look at, you know, Beckham's going early, Chubb's going early, uh, Landry's going before Baker. Najoku a lot of times goes before Baker. So where's the value? I mean, I think it's on Baker in, in this situation. And I actually just posted a tweet. I mean, I'm not – probably 90% of the time I'm drafting. I'm waiting on a quarterback. I'm one of the last people, if not the last person in my league to draft one. But if I draft a quarterback early, Baker's usually the guy that I am targeting. I think if anyone has that potential for a Mahomes-like season, you know, 50 touchdowns, something like that, if uh, Beckham stays healthy, I think Baker's that guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought a little bit, like, are we crowning the Cleveland Browns of all freaking teams too soon with this? But I don't see any world where this pass offense isn't good. I mean, perhaps the O-line isn't as good as we think. Maybe the defense, uh, the talent doesn't come together as much. But there is just way too much talent around Mayfield for them not to put up uh, numbers in the passing game. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think Baker has – I mean, his floor is, I think, a low-end, even mid-tier QB1, worst case. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, again, quarterback five, quarterback 20, about four points per game. There's not much separating these guys. So, yes, there's a lot of value on waiting. But if you're not going to wait, you, you want to take a guy who has otherworldly upside. Like, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, he has great upside. He's an he's a, he's a elite quarterback in this league. But you look at the situation around him, and then you look at the situation around a guy like Mayfield, and you say if anyone could challenge Mahomes for that lead in touchdown passes or that lead in, in, in yardage, my money's on Mayfield, maybe Andrew Luck, but, I mean, Mayfield, if, if they stay healthy, especially with Munkin, who, I mean, you're putting up ridiculous numbers with, what, a 30-what-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis Winston, who's in and out of the lineup, who's you know, can barely stay on the field at times. A guy who's getting benched, and he's still putting up QB, high-end QB1 numbers. I mean, Mayfield, again, with Brashad Perriman and, and these guys, you know, Higgins. Callaway has major upside. Every, this is another offense 
I mean, you don't have much to lose kind of betting on a quarterback in, in fantasy because as long as you wait and you're not, like, pulling the trigger on Mahomes in the third round, I think you're, you're in a good spot. But I think there's a couple offenses that could just separate from the pack, and I think the Cleveland Browns are one of them. Let's go to the, the offense that Munkin left, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because we have a guy, Bruce Arians, has a pretty good track record himself of offensive production, turnaround the career of Carson Palmer late uh, in his career, now inherits Jameis Winston, no risk it, no biscuit. They got, you know, Deshaun's gone. That He's kind of a proven guy that in, inflates quarterback yard per attempt numbers. So, you know, Munkin's gone. Djax is gone. But, I mean, you still got to feel pretty good about Jameis and, and the guys that are there with Arians at the helm, no? Yeah, I mean, Winston fits right into Arians' philosophy. Like you said, no risk and no biscuit. All of Arians' quarterbacks in Arizona finished as the top seven uh, during their seasons. Palmer was banged up a little bit. And average depth of target, Jameis has been top five in that every season of his career. So Arians wants to throw the ball downfield. Jameis has never shown an issue with doing that as well. And, yeah, Djax is gone, but Chris Goblin is someone that is good enough to immediately pick up that slack. And I think the same goes for O.J. Howard as well because now, I mean, Adam Humphreys quietly was commanding a bunch of targets in that offense. He's gone as well. They now have better personnel, I think, to consistently throw down the field and maybe complete some of these uh, bigger shot plays. They got Rashad Perryman, as you mentioned, uh, on the other side competing for a starting job. Uh, he's, I think, going to be more of a clear-out option. I mean, a poor man's version of Smokey Brown from what we saw in the old uh, Cardinals offenses. But there's just a ton of room for someone to emerge as, uh, I don't think, uh, quite Larry Fitz-level slot uh, weapon, as we saw in there. Arizona, but one of Goblin and Howard, and honestly, maybe both, I think, are going to emerge as real viable fantasy threats. And that's why I've been mentioning Mike Evans, who I think is a little bit undervalued. I mean, this guy, all he's done is rip off a thousand yards every single season. He's in the league. Uh, you know, he's capable of beating number one corners really any day with just his size. I think he's going to age pretty well because he's already not winning on really uh, separating anyway. So it's a, it's a good offense. I see the passing game having a bunch of success, uh, even if Jameis is still a little bit erratic. I guess the question is, are you buying this uh, Ronald Jones hype? Because right now, there's not really anyone else. And Arian said some really young players, uh, some really young players stepped up, especially Ronald Jones. And until Duke Johnson is traded to Tampa Bay, man, I think we got to tentatively write in Ronald Jones the starter. The way I look at it in these kind of situations is, uh, I mean, we we kind of know running backs are replaceable, especially in a situation where you don't have a a stud like a David Johnson or somebody like that. So the way I look at it is value. And right now, all the hype is on Ronald Jones. He's going, you know, 30, 40 picks in some drafts before Peyton Barber. Bruce Arians is a guy who, yeah, he had all those explosive offenses through downfield. But guess who he gave like 200-plus carries to a couple of times? Rashard Mendenhall. You're telling me that Peyton Barber is not better than like late career Rashard Mendenhall? I'm not so sure the value right now is not just on Peyton Barber because we just don't know. That's the bottom line. So um, I, I actually think, you know, I think Jones could emerge as that lead back. I think that's not out of the question. But given that we saw him slip up last year, um, given what we've seen out of Arians, that he's kind of content to roll with a, with a guy like, like uh, Rashard Mendenhall in the past, um, I, I, I think Barber is actually probably the value at this point. Now, if they're ADP split, yeah, Jones is the value. But um, as, as it stands, I mean, it's, it's, it's not sexy. But, I mean, when you're drafting a running back, you know, it, after pick 100, it's not necessarily going to be sexy. I, I like Barber right now. So that's no, where I'm fair. at. Yeah, I, but, I mean, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think Godwin and Howard both have major value. I think, I mean, Howard probably – I think he has to be the, the, the tight end off the board after the top three are gone after Kelsey – 
Kittle Ertz are gone because, I mean, when you look at him versus, say, Evan Ingram, you know, first of all, Ingram has an injury right now. Yeah, Howard's coming off an injury too, but Ingram has Golden Tate. You know, these kind of reception gobblers, Golden Tate. Uh, you have Shepard, you have Bark, uh, Saquon Bark, you have all these guys that, you know, you look up and 60% of the target share is gone already. Whereas in Tampa Bay, it's like, yeah, you have Mike Evans, he's probably going to get about 25%. But after that, I mean, Godwin's there and it's Howard. And I mean, Howard could have a monster season. I mean, that upside is there for him. You know, we're kind of projecting him as a guy who's going to do a little better than what he did last year where he was really consistent. But, I mean, there's a chance that he just emerges as the guy, even that we think Godwin might be. So um, I, I love the upside, the ceiling floor combination uh, for O.J. Howard. I think he has to be that fourth tight end off the board. And, yeah, I think that third – even that third wide receiver spot, given how prolific Aaron, Aaron's offenses have been, is something to watch. I think Rashad Perriman's in the mix. I think Scotty Miller, the rookie, uh, is in the mix as well. And he actually has – you know, he's kind of reminiscent of – Smokey Brown, who got a lot of targets his rookie year uh, under Arians. Uh, let's move on to the Jets. Adam Gase, you know, the Jets just got a new GM, uh, you know, fired Mike McCannon, got Douglas in there. So we know that maybe some of the roster is not exactly as, as Adam Gase wants, but I think his skill positions are pretty set. You're going to have Le'Veon Bell, the workhorse at running back. You're going to have Crowder in the slot signing from the Redskins. You're going to have, you know, Robbie Anderson as that, you know, kind of pseudo number one uh, slash downfield threat. And then Quincy Nunn was going to have to kind of be more of a full-time outside guy. And then the guy you mentioned, Chris Herndon, really strong rookie year, uh, you know, is kind of the wild card in this whole situation. I mean, he could be anywhere from the fifth option to uh, leading the team in targets. What do you think the effect of Gase is on this offense? And where do you see the value? Because, I mean, I think Bell is going in the first round. But, I mean, everyone else in this offense, you can pretty much be had at a very decent price. So who do you like there? Yeah, I like all these players. I'd feel so much better about the Jets if they weren't led by Adam Gase and Greg Williams. I mean, that's before even looking at their front office and stuff they've done over the last month or two. But it's just hard for me to get behind any of these guys too seriously in Adam Gase offense because, look, first of all, he was good with Denver when Peyton Manning was running the show. Adam Gase offense averaged 32 points per game in Denver. Since then, only 20 points per game uh, with Ryan Tannehill and Jay Cutler. So, yes, I understand year two Sam Darnold, it wouldn't be that shocking at all if he's much better than anything Tannehill or Cutler brought to the table. But we just still haven't seen hardly any track record of success from uh, Gase without Peyton Manning. And what we have seen is a very slow-moving offense consistently. The Dolphins were bottom three in situation-neutral pace in each of the last three seasons. I mean – I, we, we were talking about the Dolphins offense almost the same way these last two years. They got plenty of speed on the outside. They got these talented guys. It's just never quite comes together, and we never quite saw anyone get a large enough target share other than when Jarvis Landers was being force-fed uh, these kind of short targets uh, down the middle of the field all game. And I think that's what we can see here again, where I'm not really convinced any of Robbie, uh, Le'Veon, Crowder, Herndon are going to necessarily pull away from each other. I could see the whoever ends up leading this team in targets having maybe you know barely over 100 targets on the year and not necessarily even being a you know high end wide receiver too or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I think Le'Veon Bell in the first round, even if Adam Gase doesn't you know said he wouldn't have probably paid him, I think he still got a role with Bell. I mean, he's just he, people don't give him enough credit for being a special receiver. I think his ability to work out of the slot and out wide is going to help them get good matchups. I have a hard time believing uh, he'll be off the field if he's not healthy. But after that, man, it, they're cheap enough that I don't mind taking shots on, like, Robbie and Herndon, especially in best ball. But I don't think the upside here is as high as it could have been with someone like Monk and running the show. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Bell is the pick there. I mean, you know, it's a new regime, so you never know with these with these guys who had a good year one like Herndon. I mean, he could build on that or he could take a back seat. You know, you don't know if Anunwa uh, can make a living on, on the outside and, and not just in the slot as kind of a, a glorified uh, tight end playing receiver. You know, there probably was a reason why they – pretty much only schemed in bubble screams last, last year. I think Robbie Anderson is going a little bit too high. He tends to go in the top 65 picks or so, top 70. I think that's a little too high for the uncertainty. I mean, he usually thrives when everyone else gets hurt, and he has like a four-week stretch where he's the only guy. And, uh, you know, being a guy that can catch deep balls, he, he comes on strong, but I don't know if you can rely on him uh, for a whole season, especially over some of the other guys that are, are going around uh, his ADP. So, I think it's a situation mostly that I, I'm avoiding. Um, you know, I, I think the target share could shake out uh, pretty evenly. Let's not forget the Jets' defense was really poor, so you kind of hit on it. They, this could be a team in contention for the least amount of plays run because let's remember when Le'Veon Bell takes a handoff, he's waiting behind the line of scrimmage for like uh, a couple of years before he even makes his cut. So, I mean, <laughs> that only adds to the, 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 the fact that this team could be, a, you know, a very kind of underwhelming team offensively, volume-wise. Let's run through some of uh, the other changes in the league. Um, not quite as high profile, but should still have a, an impact in fantasy. Let's start in Denver. Former uh, 49ers QB coach Rick Scandarello uh, will take over there. Uh, who do you like for value uh, on the Denver Broncos? Man, not really anybody. <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> I mean, it's funny situation with Scangarello. I mean, he could be a great offensive mind. He's been working with Kyle Shanahan for the better part of the last half decade. There's certainly, I mean, that's a great coach to spend a bunch of time around, but we don't have any evidence from calling plays. And it's Joe Flacco under center. I think it's a downgrade from Case Keenum. We haven't seen Flacco really provide anything above below average play for the last five years. And I don't think it's just going to come to fruition this year with what's an incredibly unproven receiving core and, if I thought there was some value, maybe Deshaun Hamilton, pro probably not Cortland Sutton, when we thought that Emmanuel Sanders might be out. But now he's out here running routes and looking like he could Ooh. not be on a PUP list. I'm not – I know. I, I remember you and Freeman. I have him on the list. I'm aware. I'm not saying you should <laughs> Manny Sanders, but if the guy's on the field, he's going to take uh. away from the other receivers. So – and then Philip Lindsay, he wasn't even practicing. He's still recovering from a wrist injury. There's some talk that Royce Freeman's expanding his role as a receiver, but Devontae Booker's still there. The only guy in this offense I think I have any real exposure to is Noah Fant, because I think there is a similar uh, kind of rookie year Evan ingram -esque scenario where it's a bad offense and they end up feeding their really athletic rookie tight end that has a bunch of receiving traits. And I think Fant's good enough to potentially do something with it. We have seen Flacco, you know, feed his tight ends for better or for worse over the years. But, I mean, in an offense that I think we're probably projecting to be bottom 10 in points per game, just, just stay away for the most part. Yeah. I mean, in these kind of offenses, I just look to the guys who I think have the most talent. I think that's Lindsey, but he's still kind of going a little too high for me. And then, yeah, Deshaun Hamilton, I think yeah, it probably – has a good chance to lead that uh, wide receiver core. And then it's just how good is Fant in year one tight ends usually take a, a year Ingram didn't. So um, that's definitely a distinct possibility. I think you could do worse uh, as your TE2 in best ball. The Detroit Lions hired former Seahawks offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel, the guy who did not hand the ball to Marshawn Lynch at the one-yard line, but yet is known for 
running the football. They fired Jim Bob Cooter, who did have some previous success with Matt Stafford until last year when everyone got hurt pretty much. But they did say, you know, I think a lot of times we, we see these signings and we tend to get way too down on them. I think that happened with Schottenheimer last year for the Seahawks where everyone just wrote him off immediately. I mean, there are, you know, some positives to, to the Bevel signing. I mean, they talked about, okay, he's a guy who they're going to tailor their game plans uh, more to specific opponents, which I think is something, I mean, it's, why are you not doing that? Already? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, you know, Jim Bob Cooter, we always gave him a lot of props for, for what he was able to do. But, I mean, if he wasn't doing that, I mean, that's just stubborn. I mean, come on, it's 2019. You have so much data. You, if you're just running the same thing out there every week, no matter, you're saying this is who we are. I mean, come on, bro. So, um, you know, that's the upside of Bevel. But the downside is, again, he was a guy who did not hand the boat to Marshawn Lynch, even though he's known as a running uh, guy. Uh, how does this affect, uh, you know, the value for the Lions? You know, you still have Marvin Jones coming back. You have Hawkinson in the mix at, at tight end now. And you have Kerryon Johnson. Um, and you have Theo Riddick, who, you know, some people even say could be a surprise uh, cut. Yeah, and we got now C.J. Anderson who's going to be like a rich man's version of whoever LeGarrette Blunt was yeah. last year. So, again, Bavel has run the ball a ton. So, I, I do think uh, you've got to be a little bit higher on on Johnson than we would have been last year. I mean, I'm sorry, we would have been if Jim Bob Cooter was still there. I mean, look, Detroit ranked 30th, 31st, 31st, and 18th in rush attempts per game with Jim Bob Cooter. And they also got rid of Golden Tate and replaced – I mean, last season and then replaced him with Danny Amendola. So, I don't think we're going to see nearly the same emphasis on kind of short passes as we've seen uh, over the past few years. But with that said, why is Kenny Galladay going, what, 25? Uh, I mean, he's the wide receiver 18, I think, and Marvin Jones is the wide receiver 43. I mean – I think Galladay is probably a little better than Marvin, but I can see them having very similar target numbers in an offense that seems like they're going to want to take some deep chances. So I think Marvin Jones, even if he's not going to be the true wide receiver one in Detroit, he could, he could have pretty similar numbers to Galladay. I think that disparity between their rankings is way too big right now. Yeah, it's what I call arbitrage. And I think I want to write an article on this because especially in June – June, July, you see these ADPs where they're just kind of out of whack, where it's like, so you see it a lot of running back too, where it's like, okay, you know, Jordan Arrow will be going like 97th and Miles Sanders 61st. So like Montgomery 48th and Mike Davis like 180th. It's like, it's like these guys aren't that far apart, guys. And, uh, you know, I, I do agree. I think Marvin Jones and Gowdy are, they're going to have similar roles. They're going to run, they're going to go downfield. And when Detroit, you know, decides they want to throw the football, uh, Stafford is going to be looking at one of those guys. And I mean, Jones could, easily outproduce Gallaudet and, and that's not a knock on Gallaudet because I think he's a, a, a talented guy um, but you know we kind of saw what he's capable of last year and it's, it's a lot it's going to be easier for him um, when, when there's guys healthy around him that can catch the ball too but if the team wants to run more I mean that kind of knocks some of the upside down so yeah this is an offense that that I really don't want too much of outside of uh, carry on Johnson let's go to the Jacksonville Jaguars we have uh, former Eagles quarterbacks coach and Vikings offensive coordinator John D. Filippo taking over there. With the play call, we have Nick Foles, and we have a bunch of question marks at wide receiver, but we still have Leonard Fournette at running back. Also have a, a lot of question marks at tight end. So uh, any any uh, upside with this Jaguars offense, uh, I guess start with Fournette and then, then anybody else you, you're looking at. Yeah, I think Fournette's really the only guy here. It's, it's tough to know really what they're going to do because uh, obviously D. Filippo, he got fired – uh, week 14 last season with the Vikings, in part because I think of just how pass-heavy he was. I mean, they were fourth in pass play rate. Weren't, and once he got fired, we really saw them start to feed the ball to Dalvin Cook and embrace kind of a different direction. So, But at the same time, I'm not convinced he's coming into a Jaguars team that is really built to run the ball and I think wants to run the ball with Marone still as their head coach. Uh, and Fournette's the guy to do that. And quietly, you know, they're missing a ton of carries last year from T.J. Yeldon. 
uh, be announced. So there's more than enough room if Fournette can stay healthy uh, to potentially get back on track because I don't know what receiver they're going to potentially feature, which one you would want to try to pick uh, to lead it because we got – D.D. Westbrook last year's number one. Marquise Lee is supposed to be coming back from injury at some point. D.J. Chark was a day two pick last year. Some people like Keelan Cole. I'm not really one of them, but hey. Uh, Chris Conley from Kansas City is obviously a bit of an athletic freak. Even Terrell Pryor back from the grave is hanging out in uh, Jacksonville, at least for the, uh, the time being. So, I mean, I, I'm not ready to say Nick Foles is going to morph into uh, Super Bowl playoff Nick Foles just because he got his quarterback coach back. But it's a situation I think could potentially uh, – if they get a little bit of better O-line help, it could put Fournette back on track. My prediction is top three Jaguars in receptions, D.D. Westbrook, number one, Leonard Fournette, number two, Josh Oliver, the rookie tight end, number three. That's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go to the Miami Dolphins, Patriots wide receiver, Coach Chad O'Shea taking over there, uh, calling plays. Of course, Brian Flores, former Patriot, is the head coach. Uh, anything here? I mean, we hear some good things about Devontae, Devontae Parker. This is a new regime. You also have Mike Gusecki kind of shape, trying to, uh, you know, uh, turn around after that dismal rookie season. And, of course, I guess the, the best player talent-wise is, is still Kenyon Drake. Uh, Albert Wilson came on, but, you know, he's recovering from an injury. Uh, where is the value in Miami, if anywhere? So – O'Shea was the Patriots wide receiver coach from 2009 to 2018. I mean, he was there for the entirety of Gronk's career. So if there's one guy on this planet that should know how to utilize freakishly athletic tight ends, it should be O'Shea. So I'm, I mean, I think Jacecki has a real good chance of bouncing back this year. And he's another guy that's just pretty much free at this point at the end of drafts. So, I mean, there's a world where I think Jacecki could compete for the team leading targets because of all these wide receivers they have that are pretty much jumbled up. I mean, we've had the May Devontae Parker yearly hype train run through again. Uh, Fitzpatrick's throwing him no look uh, passes in practice and everything. That's all fine and dandy, but I mean, I think we've been down that road. And like you said, Albert Wilson, uh, plenty of talent in his own right. Kenny Stills apparently has a slot job. So I don't know what to make of the wide receivers. That's all jumbled. But I do know Jacecki is talented enough to, I think, uh, carve out a major role here. And Kenyon Drake, too. I mean, We've seen the Patriots use three, four running backs over the years. The Dolphins only have two right now, and it's Kenyon Drake and Kalen Ballage. I can see Drake theoretically getting a James White-esque role with a heavier rushing workload. I mean, it's going to be on a much worse offense than the Patriots, so we got to keep that in mind. But I don't know. I mean, the Dolphins and the Cardinals have the two worst win totals in the league right now. Uh, definitely, you know, we're all, we're all on board of the Cardinals having an entertaining offense but still being bad. I think the Dolphins got a little bit of that capability if uh, Fitzpatrick can keep the magic going for another year. Also not a guarantee, but at the very least, I think the Dolphins could give us some, uh, a few more splash weeks than I think we might be anticipating. Yeah, I think Kenyon Drake is a pretty good best ball pick. In, in redraft, it's going to be kind of tough maybe to, to know when to start him week to week. Uh, and I think Balazs is actually a, a pretty decent value given the fact that um, since Flores was hired, he kind of never crowned Drake the starter. Kind of said, hey, you know, Balazs is in the mix for the starting job. Um, you know, the Dolphins O-line, you know, they, they actually paved the way for, for pretty good uh, numbers for their running backs. I mean, Frank Gore, you know, he didn't score any touchdowns, but did pretty well in yards per carry, as did Drake. So um, I think Balazs is a guy to watch. If this offense is a little bit better than expected, uh, Balazs could be one of those guys that's getting, you know, 10, 15 carries per game. Um, and, and Drake could be featured in the receiving game because they don't really have much else. So um, it is kind of an offense to monitor, but at this point, it's mostly probably a stay away outside of Drake and, and, and Gusecki if you need a, a second tight end in deep leagues. Uh, we got a couple more. We'll run through really quickly the Falcons, 
hired uh, former Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter. Anything to note there? Uh, just you should realize that Cutter Cutter was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta with Matt Ryan from 2012-2014. So there's plenty of familiar uh, familiarity there. Matt Ryan had the second best season of his career last year, statistically behind only his amazing uh, 2016 MVP campaign. So I mean, I wouldn't expect them to try to change too much from last year because the offense was working really for the most part, except for the red zone with uh, Steve Sarkeesian and some of his <laughs> habits. So I think the big, I mean, Julio's gonna get his. I think Ridley is talented enough to uh, continue to put up a bunch of uh, fantasy points, even if he's not going to you know, be getting over 120 targets or anything like that. I think the question is, could we see a resurgence from Devontae Freeman? Because Tevin's gone. I like Edo Smith, but it, it could be more of a 70-30 split, I think, than maybe what we uh, grew, than what we've seen in the past. And Freeman is healthy for the time being. So I think he is, I think his ADP is uh, even now a little bit than where it was a little bit earlier in the offseason. But I think Freeman might have some value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's in a spot where um, if he's going to be used heavily, even if it's not, uh, you know, that 70-30, I mean, he's going to be used in the red zone. And this Falcon team is a team that <laughs> even if they don't always score there, they're definitely capable of getting there. And I think, uh, I think Freeman will get the ball quite a lot in there. So uh, I, I like his value. Uh, the Bengals hired former Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor. No experience calling plays. But the Bengals did average 27.6 points per game uh, in weeks one through eight last season, which was 10th in the league. You have Joe Mixon. You have A.J. Green. Uh, how are you feeling about Tyra Boyd? Tyler Eifert, some of these kind of fringe guys in this offense, because I think Green and Mixon's value is pretty much uh, entrenched at this point. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not too high on Tyler Boyd. I just think some of these other wide receiver twos, your Mike Williams, your Calvin Ridley's are objectively better, and I think uh, I'm going to invest uh, more in those guys. But don't sleep on this Bengals offense as a whole. I mean, him and Eifert, if Eifert's able to stay on the field, which is always the question there. But uh, there's, there's talent here. And like you said, I mean, 27.6 points per game first eight weeks last season it wasn't until really green got hurt dalton got hurt that the offense fell apart i mean there's talent here and the big thing i think we could see this year is to get joe mixon more involved as a receiver i mean again taylor wasn't calling the plays in la but one of the big trends that mcveigh brought uh, to the rams was to get Gurley more involved as a receiver he went from 84 targets from 2015 2016 to 168 in 2017 through 2018. Mixon's only had 89 targets his first two years in the league. I mean, we saw him split out of Oklahoma. The guy's truly a gifted receiver. So I think uh, we could see Mixon really get that three-down workload that's eluded him over the first two years of his career. Yeah, I agree. I'm not totally sold on Boyd. Um, he did, he really did step up uh, last year. So I'm actually, he's kind of one of those guys that's just hard to know at this point. I'm, I'm kind of interested to see um, how his camp goes and everything like that. But I agree. I think Mixon is the upside play here. And we also have for the Cowboys former QB coach and backup uh, quarterback Kellen Moore going to step in Darren Orlovsky quoted as saying you know I think it's going to be an offense that's like Sean McVay married with Matt Nagy married with Mike Leach that's a lot of marriages uh, is anything really going to change I mean all that seems to be uh, you know, changing with the Cowboys offense is that it's a little more crowded. You have Randall Cobb in there at the spot. You have Jason Witten uh, at tight end. You have uh, the, the draft pick Pollard, who, who's a guy who could, uh, you know, serve in, in Tavon Austin role that Tavon Austin never really served in. So um, how, do you, how do you see uh, anything changing with uh, Kellen Moore calling the plays for Dallas? Yeah, initially I didn't really expect much to change because this is, this seems to be, 
for once, like Jason Garrett's hot seat year, if they don't make the playoffs, there's a good chance. I think he's fired and they try to uh, go a different direction, but everything's pointing towards Kellen Moore having complete control of this offense, you know, from reports inside of uh, OTAs and all that. And, you know, Arvlosky and these guys have had good things to say about Kellen Moore. We've never seen it. So it's kind of off season coach speak. Don't want to get too carried away, but uh, obviously got to be excited about those marriages uh, he was bringing up a little bit. And uh, the differences they were talking about in OTAs was just a higher, uh, higher emphasis on deep balls, trying to stretch the field more. And Dak Prescott quietly, him and Russell Wilson have been the two highest rated quarterbacks on deep ball passes over the last three years. Neither of them has really attempted many deep ball passes. That's been the only problem. So obviously, you know, can't always guarantee efficiency will stay the same with an increase in volume. But like you said, more talented offense than they've kind of had at the receiver here in recent history. I think Zeke and Cooper obviously locked in as number one, as number one, number two options. But I think the offense as a whole could just take a step forward with some more creative play calling. And don't forget, all pro center Travis Frederick should be back for training camp. And even, you know, Jason Wynn isn't going to go in and just be a huge difference maker, I don't think. But he's probably about the same speed he is now as he was in 2011. And he always did provide a solid red zone target. And that was really where the Cowboys struggled last year was in the red zone to kind of convert some of those drives into touchdowns. So even if Wynn can just help in that area of the field, I think that could be a net win for them. So, uh, I mean, Eagles offense looking really good, but this Cowboys offense, I think, can still threaten them a little bit in NFC. Behind them, it's a train wreck, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how these two rivals battle this year. Yeah, and just quickly, where are you on Zeke? Because I think, you know, Ben Gretsch made a point that it's kind of tough to predict Zeke's uh, targets this year because, you know, he kind of took a major step forward in that area last season, but now you have more, you know, short area guys with Cobb and Witten. And I mean, I know Cole Beasley, you know, left and, and Cobb is kind of replacing him, but um, you know, do you, do you, you know, Powers also there now, do you see any kind of regression in, in that? And where are you in Zeke as, you know, Zeke versus Saquon, Zeke versus McCaffrey? Um, is he a top two pick, top three pick for you? Zeke's my RB three right now. I, I think it's fair to have the target concerns and we still got this, you know, we'll see what happens with this off-field investigation of Zeke's. They call it a shove. I think he kind of bumped into the guy, but uh, th that whole situation still has to play itself out as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's could definitely – I mean, Zeke's targets with and without Witten, uh, it's, a, it's a huge split. With that said, I mean, I don't think they want to give up too many of Zeke's targets to old man Witten. So, it wouldn't make too much sense to do that. But, yeah, Pollard's going to be in there. He's getting involved as well. At the end of the day, though, Zeke's led the NFL in rushing yards per game each of these last three years. They want to get him 20-plus touches a game. I think we'll continue to see that regardless of if his uh, target share ticks down a bit. Yeah, I think it really comes down to what their plans are as, as far as his contract, because if they plan to extend him and, and give him a huge deal, then you probably want to kind of conserve him a little bit. And maybe you do that in the passing game. Whereas if you're just planning to let the run him to the wheels fall off, then um, I, I don't think it matters as much. So um, I'm, I'm with you there. I think that the risk kind of knocks him down from, from that top spot, which I think he had a good argument to go over Saquon if, if everything was fine, just because that offense probably better. Uh, than the Giants offense. But um, given all the, 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 the kind of risks and concerns, I think you have to knock them down a bit. That does it for our episode on the Action Network NFL podcast. Ian Harditz, tell the listeners where they can find you. I'm on Twitter, at iHarditz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. I'll be tweeting out, again, fancy uh, relevant questions throughout the rest of the offseason and anything else that comes to mind. Yes, sir. And I am Chris Raybon. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N. Also, be sure to follow myself and Ian in the Action Network app. You can get it free on your app store on Apple and Google Play or whatever you download apps with. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Action Network. 
NFL Pod. Till next time, take care.